0: This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. What's going on, everyone, and welcome to episode 235 of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Lauren Elaine. Lauren is a real estate investor that I met at a local meetup here in the Bay Area. And when I spoke with her, she told me the most amazing story about her development deals in Florida and how she rents out her properties to horse owners as a special niche product. And by creating such a niche real estate product, she's able to maximize her returns while solidifying her position in the market. So if you want to hear an amazing story about owning and renting niche real estate, then you need to listen to this episode. And this real estate market is still incredibly hot. So if you're looking for a hard money loan for your fix and flip projects, or if you're looking for a 30-year fixed loan for rental properties with rates as low as 4%, then you can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Let me know that you're a podcast listener and I'll give you a discount on our processing fees. And now, on to the show. Lauren, thank you so much for being on our show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do.
1: So I'm Lauren Elaine and I'm doing property development.
0: So Lauren and I met at a mixer over in Mopedas. It was like one of the first live events we've had since the quarantine started. And it was very exciting. But during our conversation, she mentioned that she's actually doing like development for like horse properties. And I thought, wow, that's so interesting. Like I've never heard of anyone doing anything with like, you know, animals basically and real estate. So I wanted to bring Mm -hmm. you on the show to talk about your experiences, how you got into it. And like, what are you doing with that?
1: Yeah. So I am in Florida And basically I kind of got started because the world equestrian center just opened up here in January and um, it's a huge facility. It's basically like the Disneyland of the horse eventing world. They're going to have um, houses there, but it's mostly, you know, expos. They, it's not just horse eventing. They do car shows and things like that, but it's a huge facility that they dumped, uh, billions of dollars into. So I just saw an opportunity in this area to do some development because people come down from New York for the on season, which is the winter time here. And they, um, come for the events. And so they bring their horses with them and they need a horse property to rent. And so there's not a lot in this area. This area is really underdeveloped. It's not, um, it's never had anything like this before. It's very rural. And so you're getting people that are coming in that need these properties in large numbers. And so what I've seen is I actually bought a house of a horse property here with another friend who was doing horse eventing. And we just went in on this place together. And she was going to board the horses and pay for everything um, that way. And I was just kind of a real estate, hands-off real estate investor and providing some of the capital. And so that was the first property. But then she ended up moving. And so we rented it out. And um, we saw that this was a good area, a good opportunity to rent it out. And we rent that place out for three times as much as the mortgages.
0: So I guess like, how do you guys even decide to get into this in the first place? Like how did your friend realize let's get into these like horse houses? <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, she is a horse person. I am not a horse person. I grew up with horses, love horses, but I am not in horse eventing at all. Now she was. And so, um, she was here doing things part of the year for her shows. And so um, she just asked me because she knew that I had some money and that I wanted to do something in real estate. And she just said, Hey, do you want to go in on this property? And so I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. So
0: it was kind of like Airbnbs except now there's like a little twist to it because you're catering to this community of people who have horses and I guess they need a place for their horses to stay while they're in this area is Mm -hmm. that that right yeah
1: yeah Yeah. i mean it's it it is like airbnb it's like short-term renting you know not nightly but seasonal and um you're renting a house and a barn and um you know the the area the land and you don't have to do any of the maintenance on care on the daily caretaking of the horses. So I think a lot of people think they imagine that I'm dealing with horses on a daily basis. I don't have anything to do with horses. I don't know anything about horses. It's more of like, I think of it more as like agricultural investing, um, because there's a lot of opportunity to invest in, um, agricultural land that people may not realize. And, and you don't have to necessarily you know, run the farm or um, care for the horses. It's just owning that agricultural property.
0: So you don't have like an on-site stable hand or something that takes care of all the horses? Like each owner is supposed to care of their own horse on a daily basis?
1: Yep, yeah. Each owner takes care of their own horses. I don't have somebody, I have somebody that'll come and fix the property, you know, or a fence breaks. I can call somebody and they come and fix the fences. But no, I don't have anything to do with caring for the horses on the property.
0: Can you give a description of what that property is like? Like how big is it? How many bedroom bathrooms for humans? And then how many stables for the horses?
1: Yeah. So the first property that I um, got involved with, that was a three bedroom, uh, two bath house and pretty modest house, but it's on 10 acres and it has a seven stall barn and I think seven paddocks and then a paddock paddock is is the area when you take them out of the stall in the barn you put them out into like the pen basically it's the outdoor pen it's larger in area and it's like grass Mm -hmm. so it's um yeah it's like a fenced in grass area
0: so is the ideal uh, situation to have just one owner and then that one owner maybe has like Four to seven horses that they bring with them to the show? Is that how it works?
1: Yes. Any people have anywhere from, you know, four horses to 30 horses. Wow. Uh yeah. So you kind of want to, you know, find the the size of the farm that fits the land because the limiting factor is actually the amount of land. So if you have um seven stalls, you you pretty much need seven paddocks, seven areas to put them out into the um, the grass where they can graze outside. And so you have to decide how big those paddocks are because the area here is very sandy. And so if you have too many horses out on the grass or they're grazing too much, then your whole property can turn to sand. Um, so yeah, so we, the first property is 10 acres and then The property that I'm developing now is also 10 acres. And then we got the 10 acres next door that's just vacant land. So we're gonna turn this property into 20 acres.
0: And you mentioned that this is a pretty seasonal thing. Uh, And then you mentioned also that the reason why a lot of people are coming is because there's this large equestrian center. What happens during the downtimes? Like you just have a vacant property?
1: Yeah, so it's actually good to let the property rest to let the grass grow back and not have as many horses on the property. Um, But actually, the first um, farm that I have is being rented out on, they just signed a two year lease. So they want to stay for two years. And so it's not it is seasonal in that the shows happening at the equestrian center are only happening in from december to april basically uh but now they're starting to happen more year round and people will even rent to you on a yearly basis even if they're only going to be here for six months because it is so hard to find a property
0: got it so they're gonna rent for the whole year just to like lock it down and secure a spot for them when they want to come back during the rest of the year
1: yeah exactly
0: okay and where are they coming from
1: uh new york pennsylvania um Maine, uh Kentucky I mean they're they're kind of coming from all over but mostly the northeast and the reason is is they have these horses that you know these horses are anywhere from $50,000 to you know millions of dollars they they range and it's kind of like you know imagine like sea you know it's not we're not doing they're not all horse racing in that way they're doing different events but but the the value of these horses is a lot and they need to keep them in shape. So in the winter time, they need to leave the areas that are too cold to have the horses be exercising in the North. And then they come down to Florida and keep them in shape so that they can win for the summer events, basically, and qualify for a lot of these people are going to the Olympics and things like that.
0: So how do you go about like, financing a deal like this because I know that most traditional lenders will not lend on 10 acres and one small farm. Even a hard money mm-hmm. lender, like we can't do this deal. Yeah. How are you getting financing for these kind of projects?
1: So the financing was a little bit complicated and we actually were going to go with an agricultural loan. You can get farm, there's like um I was working with farm credit and um but we actually ended up going with a residential because these properties do have houses. They are residential. Um, so we went ended up going with a residential loan, had to put more money down than, um, with the farm loan, but you can, it is easier to get an agricultural loan than it is to get a residential on one of these places.
0: I guess, can you go into numbers a little bit on this one? Like, I'm just surprised that you can get a residential loan on this one. Is this considered an investment property? And then, how much money do you have to put down for this? sum?
1: So, well, for the first place and you, you can kind of see how much the market has changed here. So the first house um, it is, it's you know, a three bedroom house and it has a horse property. As far as they're concerned, they don't really um, care what we do with it. You know what I mean? That we're using it, that we're going to rent it out or um, that we'll be here or not. And so the first place, it was, you know, my friend was planning on living there, and so we got a residential loan for that one, and that place was four hundred fifty thousand um, when we bought it, and now it's appraised for I think close to um, eight fifty. Wow. In yes. yeah, in just a few years of owning it. And so, yeah, and then, but this property, so this property that I'm on now, it's ten acres with two houses. So it's kind of a weird property. And then this was nine, basically nine hundred thousand for this place. And so we ended up having um, a third party come in for financing private money, and he put in three hundred thousand. I think he put three hundred thousand down. So um, yeah, so you know you're working with much larger numbers, like the first farm, four hundred fifty thousand, way smaller than this. And then plus the vacant ten acres next door, that's vacant land. That was actually much harder to finance. A place with two houses on it is much easier. You know, you just think of it as residential on more land, essentially, is what it is. But vacant land is a lot harder to get financing for.
0: So what did you do for that one?
1: Um, so that one, we got um, a better price on it. We only paid one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for that vacant ten acres.
0: Yeah. Wow, I'm surprised one hundred fifty thousand for ten acres of land. That's mm-hmm. that's quite a bit.
1: Yeah, and you know, real estate prices are just much less here. In Florida, you know, I was talking to somebody and they said like, wow, our property has gone so much, gone up so much in value it's worth Mm 350,000 now. And it's like, it's this weird mix of, you can have like across the road from us, we have a housing development that has million dollar houses and down the road we have a trailer park. Uh So it's just, it's a very mixed um, demographic here. So you can find land that's dirt cheap and people don't realize the value of land here. You know, it's like, there's so much land all around and everything's flat. It's, it's not developed like it is in California by any means. And so, yeah, the the person who was selling the vacant 10 acres, they just were, you know, like a buy owner. They didn't use a real estate agent.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've had several people on my podcast who do land development And it's always the same case, like with land, people just genuinely don't want it, you know?
1: Yeah, they just want to give it away. they hate paying the
0: property taxes. Yeah, they hate paying the property taxes. They don't get any rent from it. Mm -hmm. There's no real reason for them to keep it. You know, their parents probably bought the land a long time ago thinking they would develop it. They never did. And they don't have like hundreds of thousands of dollars to sink into a project to then develop into something great. So they're like, just take it. Have Mm -hmm. someone take
1: it. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So what are your plans for this one then? Like how much do you plan on putting into it and are you financing that or is it all going to be cash?
1: Uh, We're doing a HELOC on this and we're putting in 250,000 and we're going to, we're putting in um, a seven stall barn. There's a 4,000 square foot garage on the property. Um, And so we're going to turn that into a seven stall barn with um, a small apartment slash office and attack and feed room. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to put in, um, fencing. We have to fence around the entire property and put in the paddocks. And then we're putting in a GGT arena, which in the horse eventing world is like the best arena that you can get so that they can practice as if they're at the big show on the same footing that, um, you would have, at, you know, it's the same, you know, some people work on like grass arenas and that's not as nice. And so we're going next level with this arena. That's almost a hundred thousand dollars to put in. Nice. Um, Yeah. And then we're going to eventually have another six stall barn on the other vacant 10 acres. So it'll be a total of 12 stalls, but that's going to be in phase two.
0: Okay. Wow. So you're putting it in a, a simulation arena, so that they can practice on it and then when it's time to perform like they're already used to and everything like that right
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: okay cool and what about like permits do you need to talk to the city to get all this done or can you just <laughs> do it
1: it is florida so it's not as difficult as california i just put in an asphalt driveway and this property is actually overdeveloped with the two houses they have regulation on groundwater absorption here and so with the with the garage and the two houses we already are covering as much land as we are allowed to do without a permit and i just put in a very long asphalt driveway without a permit uh because i found out that the fee for doing it without a permit is only $120 if i was in california the, i don't even want to imagine what the fee would be <laughs> so it's a healthy uh, fee Yeah. Penalty fee. Okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I will have to put in a pond um, in order to compensate for that groundwater absorption because it does rain a lot here. And so that's kind of the main permit is getting permits for things where you're putting down an impermeable surface. Um, One... Hiccup that we've had is there is a protected species of tortoises here in Florida that we did not know about. And we happen to have an infestation of those tortoises on the vacant land.
0: (laughs) Wow. Infestation of tortoises. I I can't even imagine that's like a thing. They sound so cute.
1: (laughs) I know. I know. (laughs) They are cute. They're, they're really cute. And right now there's babies. Um, It's the, I think that, well, I think they're like a year old, um, but they're very small and they, you know, you see them crawling around in the grass. Um, they're very cute, but they're very expensive to move. You have to have somebody come out, you have to get a permit to have somebody come out and move them. And it costs a thousand dollars for every tortoise that you have to move. um, because that's what you have to pay the recipient site, um, for receiving the tortoises. So it's, it's at, it's a minimum $1,000 and then there's a fee on top of that for the person moving it. So very expensive to have. How do you,
0: how do you get around that? Or you just suck it up and pay the fee?
1: Yeah, you pretty much suck it up and pay the fee or I'm doing, um, a course to become a licensed tortoise remover, basically,
0: (laughs) So you're learning how to do it yourself basically. So I'm learning how
1: to do it myself and I'll have to pay still the thousand dollar fee if I move them off site. Um, But at least I'll save on the fee of paying the person to move it.
0: Like you said, they're having babies. So what if there's like a hundred of these tortoises on your land? That's like a hundred grand.
1: Yeah. Well, we don't have a hundred. Luckily the area that they, you know, on our 10 acres, they have, you know, their there's usually they have their, Areas They don't live on top of each other, you know, so we have older, more established tortoises, probably because the land is vacant and has been vacant for so long. Um, They kind of move out when there's a lot of activity in the area. So um, we have older tortoises on there. They can live up to 200 years. So they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, And so I think we probably have 15. um,
0: You you can't just keep a few of them or maybe section off an area for them?
1: Um, We can section off an area for them. And that's something we might do with some of them, but they can't stay just because of the horses because they burrow into the ground and they make these huge burrows that can collapse if a horse steps on it. So a horse can step in the hole and break its leg if it's like running in the field. So for people who are, um, have horses that they just casually leave out to graze, they probably will be fine. But we're dealing with very high strung horses that are worth a lot of money and people won't rent from us if their horse could be injured.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Like, you know, if a horse breaks a leg, it's, yeah. it's Dunzo's, those, right? So, and it's a million dollar horse. It's a million
1: dollar horse. So, dollar horse, so yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh man, that's crazy. So how do you go about finding renters once you're done you know, renovating the property?
1: Um I work with a real estate agent here and she works for the Premier Horse Property Real Estate Company. So they just buy and sell horse properties. And so she is on the rentals side, so she has people that are coming down that want to buy and want to live down here for a little while to test it out, see the area. And so she has found me all my renters. I work with her exclusively.
0: I'm surprised. Like, this is a thing. This is like her niche is to find rent like properties for horse. Yeah. So that's crazy.
1: (laughs) I know basically this area though, it's called the horse capital of the world. Like it's, it's you drive around and you just see on every side of the road, horse farm after horse farm, after horse farm, or, you know, cows and other types of agriculture, but it really is predominantly horses
0: yeah i mean i guess up up here in northern california there's probably some real estate agents who only focus on finding farmland for people who want to make their own vineyard or something like that
1: yes yeah i I can imagine vineyard vineyard (laughs) properties is big there
0: (laughs) that's crazy so is she also like the person that's finding you all of your deals too
1: um she did well i mean this really just kind of happened because it's next door to the first property. So it all just kind of fell into place. I really wasn't seeking this out. I wasn't going like, I'm going to find this niche of doing horse properties. It just was like, you know, we had the yellow farm and then the property next door came available and she called me and she said, Hey, the people next door are selling. Just wondering if you were interested. Wasn't thinking about it at all. I'm living in Hawaii at the time. Um, And then I said, well, maybe if the vacant 10 acres next door is available, then I would do it. And so she contacted the people who own that land and they said, yeah, we'll sell it. And so that kind of happened. I don't know if I'm going to keep doing this. I'm, you know, I'm actually looking to get into more like multifamily or something else. Um, But at the same time, there's value in having every, all your real estate investments being in one area and being able to share the property management and with a farm that can be, there can be a lot of that, you know, with fencing, fixing fences and horse stalls and all of that. So I don't know, maybe I'll continue doing it, but as of right now, it just kind of like fell into my lap.
0: So now that you've been doing it for a few years now, what would you say are like the pros and cons of this type of investing?
1: Well, the pros are um, that it's very niche. And um, and we have a little bit of an insurance that people are going to be coming down because of this World Equestrian Center. I don't know that I would do this in another area. This, um, this equestrian center ensures that people are coming down because they're winning large mm-hmm. amounts of money doing these competitions and they have to qualify for the Olympics and things like that in this area. So um, one pro is that we have kind of like this built in influx of people that will always be coming. And um, another pro is that um, it's in an area that's not developed yet. You know, I'm coming from California and Hawaii and And you, it's hard to find a place there, you know, and here there's land everywhere and there's lots of opportunity and people haven't really caught on to this yet. So I'm kind of early in the game on this type of investing. Um, but one of the cons is that you're dealing with, um, a lot of maintenance, um, more, um, land and, um, people who are you know, in like more of kind of a luxury market, I wouldn't say it's super high in luxury, but kind of a luxury market, more like high maintenance and people who are really particular. Um, and so it can get expensive <laughs> doing all the things that they want for the property.
0: Got it. So you're saying like the uh, the tenant base are a little mm-hmm. bit more bougie, right? So they want things a certain way.
1: Right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> And they're all different too. Like a horse person might be, we have a barrel racer and in the property next door. And the, I have, I just, got word back from the real estate agent that we have somebody who wants to rent, who does dressage, which is another type of horse riding. And she wants to have mirrors up around the arena, these big mirrors. And those mirrors are like $75,000. Well, I happen to have those mirrors on the other property, but I don't, I'm not going to have them on this property. So I'm like, uh, unfortunately I'm not going to be able to offer that on this property. So you just, you have a wide array of different types of people that you're renting to. So it can get complex.
0: That's so interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. Would you consider these people to be more affluent than your average? I mean, if they own horses, yeah. right, then they probably have. Oh, my gosh. Bucks,
1: you right? have to have money to burn to own <laughs> these horses. They basically just eat money. Um, <laughs> you're never going to make the money back on these things. Yeah. The last person that rent rented from us um, before the current tenants, their family company had been around since 1910. I was like, what is, is that Heinz Ketchup or something? Like what, what company has been around since 1910? Um, so yeah, definitely older money or, um, and that's also just being on the East coast. That's new for me. Um, but yeah, definitely have to have a lot of money to deal with this number of horses. And and this, this demographic has money, yes. Wow. And that's one of the pros too, is that, you know, you're dealing with people that are less affected by economic ups and downs.
0: Yeah. What would you say you get as like an average rent number for your properties?
1: Um, It really depends on what you're offering. So on the farm next door, we were renting for $7,800. So almost $8,000 and then this property here we're hoping to rent out for 15,000 anywhere between 15 to 20,000.
0: Wow. Yeah. So if you go back into our numbers, you said that you bought this first one for around $400,000. Yeah, 450. And it rents for around 7,800.
1: Mhm.
0: And you have a two-year lease on it right now. Mhm. Wow, that's amazing.
1: Mhm.
0: Um, okay, well I guess you said the downside is that there are quite a bit of expenses associated with it. So yeah, I guess, what were your make-ready costs for this 450K property and what are your recurring costs associated with this one?
1: So that the $450,000 property was pretty much ready to go. Um, it had its barn, it had everything. Uh, we did do some updating inside the house, like in the bathroom, we put in a new vanity and painted and things like that, but it was pretty much turnkey. And um, But the maintenance costs are... Um, something that someone might not realize. We pay $900 a month in lawn mowing. Wow. Just to mow the lawns because it rains a lot here. The grass grows like crazy. So um, yeah, we pay, that's recurring all the time. And then there's just maintenance things that happen. We ha- pay somebody um, to come out two days a week and they just come out, consistently and fix whatever needs to be fixed on the property. But also the wages here are not too high. We usually pay them around $15, $20 an hour for one of our guys. We pay him closer to 25 because he's more skilled. Um, But other than that, it depends on how old your farm is. So this place that I'm on now, everything's going to be new. We're going to be building the barn out of concrete. So we'll probably never have to go in and fix anything, you know, maybe a door or something like that. But Mm -hmm. we're hoping that that is going to be maintenance-free. And then we'll have to fix, all the fencing will be brand new. So maybe in 10 years, we'll have to fix the fence boards or if, you know, a horse breaks a fence or something like that. But very minimal costs. And so it'll be basically the $900 a month for, the lawn mowing and then, you know, maybe some having someone come in to do some tree work or cut down limbs and things like that. Cause we do have hurricanes and tropical storms. So we have to maintain the trees on the property, but it's very minimal for this new project that we're doing.
0: Are you paying for utility costs as well? Or are the tenants
1: paying for that? Uh, we pay for utility costs. Yeah. Well, to, to a certain point, It depends on if they, a lot of people come down with RVs. So we pay for, um, we have like a set usage amount that we'll pay for up to this amount. And then they pay anything above and beyond because they might be plugging in RVs or having trailers or, you know, whatnot. It can really add up. So.
0: And since these are like 10 acre lots, um, is there city sewage here or is everything septic tank or how does that work?
1: Um, we have septic tanks. Okay. Yeah.
0: But city water, not wells.
1: Uh, Wells. Oh, wells. well water. Yeah. The water okay. here is actually very good. There's um, we have two wells on this property and two wells on the other. I'm going to put in another well here for the arena and that um, they said should be, you know, they just drill down. I think. Like 40, 40 feet or something like that, which is not very far to get good water. Um, it rains a lot here, and it's sand, and then they have a bedrock underneath, so you can get really good water here, and you don't have yeah. to worry about your wells running dry or anything like that.
0: So then, basically, you don't have to pay for water or sewage technically because it's all nope. there on your lot. Yeah. Okay, interesting. I guess all you pay is for electricity and maybe internet. If Yep, if you I guys pay even for when
1: internet. We do. We do get internet. Yeah. <laughs>
0: know <laughs> work cables or what uh
1: yeah i think it's um it's uh gosh what's the there's a term for it fiber optics is that what it is oh, okay. i can't remember yeah cool. um but yeah wow. there's internet
0: very nice so you were mentioning that you might move away from this into something more like conventional such as multifamily mm-hmm. commercial like a lot of people are doing here uh why why would you decide to Do either or?
1: Well, I, I would like to do multifamily just because I think that it's going to be lower maintenance and maybe easier. Um, That could, I could be totally wrong. You know, I am new to this. Somebody might be listening and going, oh no, it's not easier. You're dealing with a lot of people and the more people you have involved, the more difficult it is. Um, but you know, at the real estate meetup, I, uh, met some people that are investing in Ohio and, um, different areas. And so I was looking at buying a multifamily in Ohio. The numbers just seem to work well in the Midwest. And, um, I don't know. I like to diversify. I don't want to be all in one area doing, you know, what if for some reason the world equestrian center decided to shut down, I wouldn't want to be completely, um, reliant on that in this area.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Or if, you know, horse riding falls out of favor for everyone. Exactly.
1: Well, and um, the Greyhound dog racing, all of the facilities just shut down uh, because that became illegal. And so there was all of these Greyhound dogs that needed to be adopted. And if, you know, for whatever reason, I was investing in, in racetracks for dog racing, I would be out of business and losing a lot of money. So yeah, anytime you're dealing with um, something that is a luxury item or like a sport, you never know what's going to happen and how the rules are going to change. I mean, it's been around a long time. It's highly unlikely, but it is good to just diversify.
0: Well, I mean, greyhound racing was around for a long time too. I'm surprised. I didn't, I had no Mm -hmm. idea that actually got shut down for being legal. I
1: didn't even Mm -hmm. know it was
0: like a, something bad, right? I thought greyhound racing is just Dog's running, so it's not a big deal. (laughs) I know. Probably something shady going on behind the scenes that we don't know about.
1: Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah.
0: But it makes a lot of sense. I mean, like you mentioned at the meetup, it seems like a lot of people are investing in like Cincinnati or Cleveland uh, in Ohio. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, the multifamily piece is interesting. You know, everyone always needs a place to stay. Even throughout the pandemic, for the most part, people have still been paying rent because they want to keep the place that they're living in. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I like the multifamily rather than like um, single residential because, you know, you you're not relying just on like one person to pay the mortgage. You know, you have you can have a vacancy and have it not be the end of the world.
0: Yeah. Makes and sense.
1: I, I do have one single family place in Hawaii and um, luckily we have excellent tenants, but through the pandemic, there were a lot of people that at first they couldn't rent their place in Hawaii because they shut down tourism. And there were not a lot of people living on the island and, and the income is heavily based on tourism. So people were moving out of their place or um, moving back in with their family. And so um, I just like the idea of having like multifamily because I experienced or saw a lot of people that lost their tenants and then it was hard to get new tenants in.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you like listening to any particular podcast or you know, reading anything interesting regarding multifamily and like how to get started with it?
1: No, not really. If you have any recommendations, um, <laughs> I, I haven't really read anything about multifamily. I'm really just getting started. I've been talking with a few people from the meetup about it who are already doing it. And they've put me in contact with their real estate agents. And, um, so I'm just going to go from there and I'm really a, like fly by the seat of my pants person. I feel like everything that's happened in my life, I has just happened to me or come and like shown up and I've been like, okay, let's do it. And I kind of think that's how I'll approach this multifamily thing as well. I'll just find one, see if the numbers work and go for it.
0: That's great. But I do, um...
1: I do like reading and learning about it too.
0: Yeah. What size of a multifamily would you say you're gonna start with?
1: Um, I'd like to start with a fourplex.
0: Okay. Yeah. So yeah. fourplex isn't too bad. Like that's um that's not even commercial yet. it's still considered residential yeah. multifamily. And yes. you can get like a conventional loan for that. Mm-hmm. Um, fourplexes are also really easy to be found. Like mm-hmm. like you mentioned, any real estate agent can find a fourplex, no big deal. Mm-hmm. But once you start getting to like that 10, 20 unit range. It becomes a lot harder to get and also mm-hmm. a lot harder to finance too. And that's where you're going to counter a lot of issues.
1: Yeah. And I want to, f- you know, I'll work up to that. I would eventually love to do a 10 unit place or apartment buildings or something like that. Um, I've kind of decided that real estate is what I'm going to be doing for the long term because it just makes sense, financial sense. And it wasn't until. I bought my first place that I purchased was in Hawaii. And when I decided to travel, I rented out the house and built a small house on the back part of the property. And I come and go as I please. And the mortgage is covered. And it was like a light bulb went on in my head. I'm like, wow, I can have somebody pay (laughs) my mortgage and own the house and then be able to live, you know, on the back part of the property and come and go. And that house I bought in two thousand and seventeen for four hundred and fifty thousand, and it's now just appraised for nine hundred thousand nice, yeah, so it was a big light bulb that that property. I was like, wow, i don't know why everybody isn't doing real estate like if you don't own your home, <laughs> then you should find a home and I understand that you know people live in areas like the Bay Area where it's cost prohibitive to own your own place, you have to be, you know, making a lot of money to purchase something in that area. So um, that's why a lot of people are doing out of state investing to, you know, be able to own something. So I just think that real estate's a really smart move to make.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, just like what you did, I house hacked my first property. And that helped a lot in terms of uh, bringing my cost of living down to almost zero. It matters so much mm-hmm. because once you have, you know, no cost of living expenses, you can then spend your money on other things like other investments or on, you know, creating a lifestyle that fits mm-hmm. that, that you. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Awesome. So I guess, um, what would you say are like next steps for you in terms of this, um, this property that you're building? You're currently on the development process. How much longer until it's finally done and ready to rent rented to other people?
1: Well, right now, um, we're hoping to rent it out by November, December. I have somebody that wants it in December. Um, so yeah, hopefully it'll be rented in December. It'll be done. And, um, but there's a lot of work to be done between now and then. So I'll be here doing this until December. And then once it's done, um, I probably will leave Florida and go back to Hawaii and um, start working on doing my next investment and whatever that may be, maybe in the Midwest.
0: Wasn't it a challenge to find all of these contractors to work on your projects, especially if you're from California and you have all this stuff to be done in Florida?
1: Well, that's why I came out to Florida. So I am actually just hiring all subcontractors. I don't have a contractor. Um, Luckily, I feel you know, like I have enough competency in construction um, to be able to do that. Like I, you know, have this asphalt driveway. I have a subcontractor who's doing that. I'll hire, I have um, a concrete block company that's going to put in the stalls in the barn. And um, I have a fencing company that's going to do all the fencing. So I hire companies to do the installation.
0: How how do you even know, like what to do in the first place. Is there like a manual that tells you how to <laughs> best lay out these things?
1: No, that's the, that is the hardest part, deciding how it's going to be laid out, where the fencing is going to go. And it's really a trial and error, but also I've talked with a lot of people. I went to an, another horse property and, And where they're very successful of a friend of mine. And she said, here, talk to this person. He's run this very successful horse property for the last 20 years. And he came to my property and consulted with me on everything that I should do. And I've just talked to a lot of different people in the area about what they need from a horse property. Um, Like, you know, you need to have an arena. That's not something I would necessarily know. Um, But they said, it's very important. So I'm doing that and it's really just to learn as I go. I might change the plan um, about, you know, how many stalls or um, how many paddocks or where the well is going to be on the property versus where the arena is going to be. All of those things may kind of shift and change, but I pretty much know that all the pieces that need to be included and I just have to, I have a map of, uh, I took a Google Earth image. And um, I'm just drawing basically the layout, the master plan of the property.
0: That's super cool. Uh, my girlfriend and I are currently under contract for a flip project over in Texas. So, you know, we're about 2000 miles away from there as well. Um, we were thinking at first to maybe GC it ourselves, but ultimately I think because we're not going to be there, you might have to get a general contractor. to help. Us yes.
1: With that. I, w- you know, I, I was just talking with somebody about this because I just did it. Asphalt driveway, as I mentioned, and um, I was out there all day, you know, just making sure that they're doing right. I don't know anything about asphalt. I researched and I read about it and um, I trusted this person that they would do a good job. Well, at the end of the night, the guys drove over the driveway And it wasn't fully hardened yet. And so I have these big, huge ruts in the driveway and I, and the contractor has to come back out and rip out half the driveway and redo it. And so, you know, it's, it's a lot of work dealing with this. You know, I'm out there like looking part of it also didn't lay down evenly. So I'm like, you know, Calling other asphalt people and going like, "Is this normal? How thick should it be?" And they're kind of advising me, but I'm really learning a lot as I go.
0: Yeah, no doubt, you learn so much from going through this whole process.
1: Yeah, and I would say, if you're not going to be there hands on, then definitely hire a general contractor because you need you you need. I mean, I don't know how you would do it otherwise. Essentially, I'm just like a standing in as a general contractor i don't know what i'm doing but um i'm trusting that people are gonna know their trade um but you need somebody on the property making sure that the people are doing their work right
0: yeah absolutely well lauren thank you so much for sharing your story this was like super exciting (laughs) and definitely something really new and unique um do you have any last words or last tips of advice that you'd like to give for our listeners before we finish up today
1: um, I would just say just go for it. You know, you, it, nobody ever knows where to start. And I didn't know that I would be doing horse properties. I just knew that I wanted to do some sort of real estate investment. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably want to do some sort of real estate investment and just, um, start getting yourself financially ready to do. S- do so so that when the opportunity arises, you can pull the trigger and just just be ready to say yes because there are a lot of deals that I passed on not feeling like I was ready. And now I'm looking back going, wow, I really should have said yes to those things.
0: And Lauren, how can people find out more about you?
1: Follow me on Instagram. I'll be documenting this whole real estate journey at Lauren Elaine Show.
0: Awesome. Well, Lauren, thank you again so much for being on the show today. It was awesome having you on. Thank you so much for sharing the story. (laughs) Thank you, Sean. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.